I think the Vikings are going to approach things a little differently this season. They're going to do some Kyle Shanahan stuff, but what is Kyle Shanahan stuff? Let me go deep on some X's and O's for you on the Locked On Vikings podcast. You like that? Three, one, two, three. You, like you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey, 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 hi. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. Each and every day you can find this show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, as well as YouTube if you're into that, or even Amazon Fire or Roku. Just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. We're going to go deep today. This is going to be an X's and O's podcast if you're into more draft stuff or whatever. Uh, don't worry, we got plenty of that, so come on back if that's not your thing, but I do think that this is really important to understanding what kind of players the Vikings are going to be into um, on the offensive side of the ball, which will inform their draft strategy and the rest of their free agency strategy, and of course, how they approach the season, how they have approached the season. So you've probably heard a lot, especially from this show, I've been harping on it a lot, that, hey, what the Vikings have done so far suggests a more Shanahan-esque uh, approach to this season. And you know, they've, they signed Josh Oliver to a deal that even after you consider that the third year of that deal is insanely fake, uh, that the first two years of the deal equal out to 13 million over two years, six and a half year, uh, or six and a half per year average with, um, some signing bonus spread out to ease the pain. That's a pretty good investment for a backup tight end. And TJ Hawkinson is up for an extension. I They have hinted that they are pretty into extending TJ Hawkinson. That could be up to 15 mil a year. So they could be spending upwards of 20 million a year on two tight ends. That probably means they're going to run some two tight end, right? Those guys should probably both be on the field if they're paying that much for those for those guys. And then, of course, CJ Ham. while his cap hit went down this year, they did reaffirm their uh, commitment to having a fullback. If you remember this time last year, we were kind of going, well, I don't know. Are they going to use a fullback or maybe they'll they'll take it into camp and see if they like the package. But then they signed. I want to say it was Jake Vargas again, uh, you know, backup fullback in camp. And it's like, OK, well, no, they just like plan to have first team, second team, 21 personnel packages. That means they're probably installing it. So. Basically, what we had last year was 11 personnel most of the time. It was Thielen, Jefferson, K.J. Osborne, um, Dalvin Cook, and a tight end, be it the kind of rotation thing that was going on in the first half of the year and then T.J. Hawkins in the second half of the year. Um, that was it, and that was your personnel. And if that ever changed up, it was kind of as a subversion. But that was your staple. With all of the commitments that the Vikings have made to people who don't really fit into that vision of an offense, um, I mean, right now they only have two starting caliber wide receivers, unless you're real high on Jalen Naylor. Um, 
Justin Jefferson and KJ Osborne. And some people might even argue that KJ Osborne should be a wide receiver three. And maybe that's not a starter or whatever, but the point is they only have, you know, those two receivers. They have two tight ends. They have two running backs. They are set up to live in a rotation of 11, 12, 21 personnel. I want to go a lot deeper than just they'll put bigger guys on the field and do stuff with them. I want to actually kind of talk about what that stuff is. But first, I kind of want to drive home that using all of those personnel packages and having players that are available for all of those personnel packages, that value compounds on itself and kind of overlaps with itself. It becomes more than the sum of its parts. Um, if you are just an 11 personnel team, and let's just lay out the problems with the Vikings offense, which was not awful uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but the Vikings have expressed displeasure with the uh, result that they got in 2022 out of the offense. Of course, they have a lot more displeasure with the uh, result they had with the defense, but the, they still have wanted to make changes to the offense, right? Here's the problem. If you run 11 personnel all the time, um, the run game is going to have to do something to make up for that because you're never going to have bigger guys on the field. You'll only ever have that kind of that one tight end and you'll have wide receivers blocking a lot. So you need wide receivers who can block. I think KJ and Justin Jefferson can do that. So that I guess works and they kind of have to act as pseudo tight end sometimes in the run game. Um, but the thing about this run game, which is very McVeigh-ish, and, and, and Sean McVay has never really prioritized his run game. It's always just been a means to an end, and that end being play-action bombs. Um, but it's never been really a focal point of, of, of trying to move the ball by doing all this different stuff, whereas Kyle Shanahan does do that. He does try to find ways to run the ball um, and to do so effectively and to do so consistently and to you know minimize these two-yard dumb runs that you then have to go answer about and say, we were establishing something. If you're going to you know use plays to set up play action, those plays probably shouldn't set up second and longs, right? So with the McVay side, they really had two moves, zone and duo. Um, their outside zone package was pretty simplistic, and it was uh, a, a lot of pure outside zone, very often to the weak side. Sometimes they'd throw some jet motion in there to try to get linebackers flowing in one way or another. That was kind of it. Uh, that was their zone game. They had a little bit of inside zone, a little bit of linebacker or whatever in certain um, certain circumstances. But for the most part, when we're running, we're running zone or we're running duo. Now, both outside zone and duo require uh, double teams up front. And usually on the interior, they need, they, they want to have double teams at least at the very start. And then they'll combo up to linebackers, uh, if appropriate. So the numbers game in the middle, you kind of have to have the ability to use four guys, usually on the, on the two defensive tackles or on a tackle and, and an end, right? Um, four of your offensive linemen will be dedicated to two players. And that's kind of the point is that those two players are going to get moved. It's two on one. So you can, you know, kind of rely on that and create space accordingly and then build out from there. Um, both of those run plays, however, are going to have different challenges when they're going against five man surfaces, five down fronts. Um, this is not always the case in any defense, but they saw a lot of it against Miami, against Arizona, for example, um, where 
those teams came in, they put five on the line of scrimmage. So you have four on the line of scrimmage. And, and let's just like work out the numbers in our head. You have four on four defensive linemen on the line of scrimmage and the offense has their five offensive linemen and a tight end. Those numbers add up, right? You can have a couple of two on ones in on say the two defensive tackles. And then you've got a tackle on an edge rusher. And then you probably have to have a tight end on an edge rusher. So you have one matchup there that looks pretty good for you. And the rest of it is either a one-on-one or a two-on-one. And it's not great. If you put an extra guy there, the offense has no choice but to split up one of those double teams so that there is an extra lineman available to block that extra guy. It breaks things up. And so against five down fronts, these run games just will not do better. Um, that is one step toward countering the old Vi- Vikings offense, the 2022 Vikings offense. The second step is you got to think about what the Vikings will do against you if you do five down. If you come out five down, you put your bigs on the field, right? You put your linebackers on the field and you say, we're stopping this dang run. The Vikings are, well, what are they going to do? They're going to throw over the top of you with Justin Jefferson. You have all of this stuff in the meat grinder of the middle of the field. What we're going to do is we're going to motion Justin Jefferson to some kind of weird inline alignment that forces your coverage rules to put Preston Smith on him, and we're going to have him run routes. Good luck with your linebacker or in some cases even your defensive lineman um, covering that guy. And that becomes the subversion. So how do you counter that subversion? Well, you put a high safety on that side of the field so that if Justin Jefferson runs anything deep, it's capped. Um, And then you just kind of dedicate the rest of your resources to underneath coverage. Wherever Justin Jefferson is, Somebody will be underneath him and that safety will be on top of him and you have him bracketed. You stay in that five down front. The Vikings will never be able to force you out of it. And you kind of have the the counter to the Vikings. That's the problem with the Vikings offense that they are trying to solve. Where this Shanahan stuff comes in in terms of solving it is aimed a lot of it at those five down fronts. The, the 49er version of this offense has a much easier time against it. And a lot of it is just because, yeah, they've got bigger dudes out there, but also the way the spacing works out um, is a little different as well. So I, I will get way more into depth with all of this. We talk about Josh Oliver and CJ Ham and how they all go, and then maybe talk, too, about w- what we're looking for in the draft. Uh, but first, let me talk to you about a good old gramble. FanDuel has released its 2023 win totals for all of the teams, even the Packers and Jets, which like other books have not had the balls to do. And you might be able to take advantage of it. The Jets are at nine and a half. Packers are at seven and a half because it's kind of hedged. I feel like a little bit because we don't know where Aaron Rodgers is. Uh, But if you don't believe in Aaron Rodgers anymore, you want to bet that Jets under or if you just want to go ahead and bet that Packers under and have one more reason to root against them or you can bet the Vikings over or under eight and a half. If you can correctly guess whether or not the Vikings will have a winning season in 2023, you will be rewarded by FanDuel. Just go to the FanDuel app. It's safe, secure and easy to use. And first time users, when you sign up, if you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, you can get a no sweat first bet. That means whatever your first bet is, if you whiff on it, you get $1,000 back in bonus bets. That is the no sweat first bet at FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. You can, of course, bet on the NBA, MLB, NHL, money lines, uh, player props, parlay stuff, all of that stuff. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
Thanks so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. Uh, after this show, I would love it if you went to LockedOnPodcast.com slash newsletters and read up and slash signed up for uh, Luke Inman's NFL Draft newsletter. Love Luke, love his draft stuff. Go check that out. Also check me out on Patreon.com slash NFL. You can watch a history documentary series, seven episodes, averaging an hour each, detailing the entire history of the Minnesota Vikings, all the way from Sid Hartman calling up some billionaires saying, hey, Minnesota would be a great place for a football team, all the way through to uh, the end of the 2021 season. It aired right before 2022 as Kevin O'Connell was taking over. You can enjoy that. Let's move on. So if you can play cover two to Justin Jefferson's side, and if you have the personnel to reliably stay in a five-down world, you can get away with, and this is how Miami forced the Vikings to have like 10 first downs, and they struggled with this throughout the season, especially in some of those blowout games down the, down the stretch, um, like Packers and Cowboys and stuff. The If you can pull those two things off, you have an answer to a lot of the, the cool stuff the Vikings did. That was the issue. Um, in particular... I want to go over too how that cover two thing really beats one of the Vikings favorite staple concepts. And that is choice. I talked about choice a lot headed into the season. It was a very important thing to understand if you're going to understand the Vikings offense. And it's just on one side of the field, usually the weak side of the field. So the one with, with fewer players, the outside player will run a clear out route. And that guy does not have to be a wide receiver. That guy was CJ ham sometimes. Um, and, and the point was kind of to make that guy a player that you don't really need to be a major part of the passing concept, like a running back or a tight end, uh, and to kind of run that guy on a deep route and force them to use one of their premier secondary defenders covering a tight end. You would end up with stuff like Jair Alexander on CJ Ham. You know, sometimes CJ Ham got doubled um, doing these kinds of things. So you have that guy run a clear out route. Um, and just a, just a through go route down the sideline against cover two, that is going to occupy the deep safety, but against say quarters, which quarters is probably the most common coverage in the NFL right now. Um, that and cover four, right? You are taking that cornerback and you're forcing him to go deep. And if you think about quarters on the weak side of the field, just like envision it Madden style, you've got your two deep uh, zones on that side of the field. And you have one underneath zone, two deep, one underneath. Um, so if you send a clear out route deep, you have ensured that that corner is not going to be able to help with choice. And all choices is a five yard option, right? You go five yards and you turn, if, if he's playing you inside, you turn outside. If that defender, whoever that defender is, if, whether it's a zone or a man, uh, if he is playing you outside, you turn it inside. Uh, and if it is a true zone, you just find the soft spot and turn around. That's choice, right? Just quick, you're just trying to get a quick five yards. That's all this is. Um, so a clear out route to make sure that one of these underneath defenders has to run with you. And then you run choice. Against cover two, however, that only has one guy deep and two underneath. 
whoever that deep guy is, is going to have no problem in the world taking that clear out, right? With CJ Ham, TJ Hawkinson, give it to Adam Thielen, give it to a, a speedy guy. It doesn't matter. It's a safety, right? His job is that. So he'll, he'll go take that no problem. And now both of those underneath defenders are available to cover choice. So you can't go inside, you can't go outside, and they can squeeze it pretty comfortably. And you're going to have to go to the other side of the formation, which a lot of times the Vikings would pair choice with, say, a return route or something else coming across the middle. If the linebacker who is, you know, if if somebody really squeezes that choice route from Justin Jefferson and really follows it, vacating a whole bunch of the middle of the field, theoretically, you want a uh, short route going over the middle of the field. And you can just have Kirk Cousins kind of read that and say, hey, if they squeeze it really hard, the return should be there. That's all there. But essentially, you can force the Vikings to constantly be in a world where Kirk Cousins has to go to his second read. And while I I don't think that that's an issue for him, you're never going to be as good on the second read as you are when you can just drop back and throw to the first thing. It's just going to, over time, cause inefficiencies in the offense. Okay, so there is the whole problem, right? Um, Or not the whole problem. There is... A major portion of the problem schematically. There's also stuff like Ed Ingram got beat really bad this game, or Ezra Cleveland got beat really bad this game. The wide receivers couldn't beat man coverage. All that stuff also had something to do with it sometimes. And again, the offense wasn't like awful. This is not a catastrophic thing that needs to be built from the ground up. And the Vikings are still going to live using a lot of outside zone. That's going to be a staple still. But the difference is a huge difference is whereas before the Vikings loved to run outside zone to the weak side. That is, you know, where there's fewer guys. That's pretty much the logic to it. Um, And again, with that five-man surface, that five down front, the defense could essentially afford to put an edge rusher pretty far to the outside on both sides of the field. So whether you're running outside zone strong or outside zone weak, there's going to be somebody in a decent position to make a play that the Vikings have to account for. Um, Now the Vikings are going, they're probably going to see a lot of the same thing, but they're going to start running more toward the strong side on the weak side, that edge rusher, whoever he's over there, it's going to be a lot harder for that tackle to get out there, to reach him, to push him, to do whatever, because there's just so much more space for that edge rusher to work with, to set up some kind of move. Um, on the strong side of the field, where there is a tight end, now you just double that guy. Whether that's TJ Hawkinson and Christian Derisaw, TJ Hawkinson and, and Brian O'Neill, or I guess, I don't know, like Blake Brandell, if O'Neill isn't ready for the start of the season. Um, you got a two-on-one over there, and you can now run outside zone to that side. The typical counter to this is for teams to walk one of their linebackers, the Sam linebacker, because he's on the strong side, um, down to the line of scrimmage and essentially get that uncovered man back, get that advantage back. So the way Shanahan deals with that is say, all right, you bring an extra guy, I bring an extra guy. I will motion somebody across. And now it's a matter of who do you want that person to be um, going up against that Sam linebacker. For Shanahan, it is a second tight end. And sometimes it's a second tight end and a fullback. Let's go 22 personnel. And we will have a fullback and a tight end double team that linebacker. Now we have a double team on the edge rusher and a double team on the linebacker. And you have already committed too many defensive resources. And now we're going to run outside zone. And he generated a ton of explosives that way. Just 
forcing defenses to stretch way too thin and essentially just like hard line brute force. You cannot get through this without someone defeating a double team. Hope your linebackers can beat double teams. And hey, a lot of guys just can't. Um, that's the world of outside zone strong. But fixing that choice problem is also something uh, a little bit more uh, pressing, right? What what are their staples now? And, and, and it doesn't change a lot, but it tweaks enough where they can kind of get paid off for using all these extra big guys that aren't necessarily as dynamic of receivers um, in the pass game. So we still have that to sort of go over. So if we can solve the idea of a five-man surface by going into 12 personnel and typically having a, you know, one tight end on either side and whoever's on the weak side will motion over and now it's two tight ends on the same side and you start doing double teams with that, right? And maybe with a fullback or maybe not. Um, the, the key thing here, though, is this is a staple run which means they're going to use it a lot if I'm right about this and they actually do the Shanahan thing. And in that staple run, that means the tight end, whether or not he can defeat the linebacker on a block, is going to decide the result of a lot of run plays. So let's make sure that dude can block. And they went out and got what some people would argue, a lot of people would argue, was the best blocking tight end in football last year. I think understanding that their plan is that is outside zone strong with tight ends motioning over helps to explain the Josh Oliver signing a lot. And then you can also go into 21 personnel, go into a totally different looking formation and essentially run the same play. But instead of a tight end motioning over, you just have CJ Ham as a lead blocker. And now you can kind of run the same concept from a whole bunch of different looks keep the defense on its heels while you continue to do some of the same stuff. And what the defense has to do to deal with that is going to be a lot more drastic than what they have to do to deal with uh, when you run zone weak all the time and you use a lot of choice, right? If teams before, all they had to do was kind of bring a linebacker down to the line of scrimmage and make sure you kept a safety over the top so that they couldn't kill you with Justin Jefferson. Now, taking a linebacker and bringing it down to the line of scrimmage isn't good enough. And the goal here is to force the defense to take a safety and put him in the box. That's always what it's been for 45 years of football. That has been the goal of a lot of this run game stuff. If you can run the ball uh, formidably enough over the course of a season, over the course of a game, whatever, theoretically, you can get more single high coverages. That's what you want. You want single high coverages. It's not about setting up play action. It's not about selling fakes better. That is part of it. But really all that is, is, you know, if you have a tight end motioning across a lot, cause you're running a lot of outside zone. Well, now you run play action slide where that tight end motioning across is something that looks like a run play. And the shape of your run plays determine the shape of your pass plays. There's like a near one-to-one or your your play action plays. There is a one-to-one correlation of that. It has nothing to do with the frequency of run and pass. So get the run-pass ratio crap out of your mind. That's not how it works. Um, The point is the plays should look like each other. That's good offensive architecture. But the real goal here is to be able to force the defense to say, okay, if you do not bring this safety down and into the box to kind of again, be the extra guy because, you know, my linebacker just cannot beat Josh Oliver on his own. We need another guy. And this guy keeps getting into space. 
but like the 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 situation it sets up if you hand it to your running back and that running back gets into space because everybody won all their blocks that i was talking about that safety becomes the guy responsible for making the tackle and if he is late to stuff if he isn't a total superhero then you have to give him a head start by bringing him closer to the line of scrimmage. And if you bring him closer to the line of scrimmage, he now cannot play over the top and cap everything you do with Justin Jefferson. To further stress things, and one thing about this Kyle Shanahan offense that I think I've noticed that that is really important to understand is there is a ton of redundancy. A lot of his play designs, and I'm also taking this, I, I should probably cite my sources here, but a, a lot of these play designs have three different things going on, all aimed at solving the same problem. So if one of them fails, the other two won't, and that problem is going to stay solved, damn it. <laughs> That's part of this sort of Shanahan ideology. Um, and the pass game sort of, I'm going to say this, don't freak out. The pass game comes second to the run game in a, in a sense, not in ratio, not in frequency. I don't care if you run the ball eight times and pass it twice or vice versa. Stop paying attention to that. It's not what matters. What matters is the run game is set up to succeed and the pass game is set up to look like the run game. And that that is how you create a successful pass game to, is make it look like the run game. So you have the opportunity, like in, in San Francisco, when the guy motioning across the formation to eventually block the strong side linebacker is George Kittle. Now, suddenly that can turn into a, a play action slide keeper slide. If you play Madden, you're familiar with it. It's probably a staple play for you, um, which is tight end motions across the formation and then runs out and catches a pass in the flat. Now you've given George Kittle a yards after catch opportunity. What if that guy's Debo Samuel? What if that guy's Kyle Juszczyk? What if that guy's Christian McCaffrey and you have two running backs on the field? Now you can kind of see how Shanahan's offense is set up to give after catch opportunities and, you know, just to get the ball in the hands of your best dude, right? That's the goal. And, and that's the cliche you can kind of bring all this back to. It's how do we, I get the ball in the hands of my best dude? For the Vikings, that's Justin Jefferson. So this is going to look a little different. It's, they're not just going to copy paste Shanahan stuff because Shanahan doesn't have a Justin Jefferson. His best pass catchers, you know, his best weapons are a running back in McCaffrey, a tight end in George Kittle, and a wide receiver that they use as a running back in Debo Samuel. Those are their guys. Our guys are Justin Jefferson, and I guess the second best guy is a tight end in TJ Hawkinson, so I'm sure they will steal a lot of the Kittle stuff. But how you kind of convert this world into great opportunities for Justin Jefferson I don't know if that's throwing him two yard passes and making him break a bunch of tackles. For me, the best way to get the ball to Justin Jefferson is a go ball down the sideline and, and, you know, deep stuff, right? We want shot plays to Justin Jefferson where he can go catch the ball or intermediate stuff over the middle where he can catch the ball and start doing stuff, you know, kind of in the secondary and, and, you know, trying to make big explosive plays that way. Um, and, you know, utilizing what he does before the ball is thrown. There's so much to that that you don't necessarily get from like running backs that you can throw screens to. Um, so that kind of leads me to, and I'll, and I'll wrap it out with this. And I, I'll probably talk a little bit more about this tomorrow too, because I feel like there's some other stuff I didn't get to. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it out with this. What does that mean? The Vikings need, if you want to try and project 
what kind of player the Vikings are looking for in terms of a skill player. And I'm going to say skill player. I'm going to stop saying wide receiver. I'm going to start saying skill player. Um, I need a guy that's dynamic in space, whether that's running back, whether that's finding a way to keep Dalvin Cook, whether that's drafting Zay Flowers. I'm starting to really fall in love with Zay Flowers as a fit for what the Vikings are trying to do because I think he provides that element. I need a guy that can catch a crossing route and turn it into something special. That's Zay Flowers for sure. Um, and I think that that complements what they want with Jefferson a lot. Somebody like Jordan Addison wins in a different way, and you can find a way to make that work. You can combine McVay concepts with Shanahan concepts, and as long as you similarly adjust the run game so the run game looks like the pass game, you should be just fine doing that, even if it's kind of a little awkward to sort of live with one foot in, you know, on both lanes there. Um, but that's, if you want a takeaway that actually kind of previews the draft, cause we're in April and everything has to be about the draft. Um, it's that the Vikings I think should be looking for dynamic dudes with the ball in their hand. Not necessarily that they shouldn't look for deep burners or deep play receivers or, you know, guys that love to catch 50 yard post routes or whatever, that's all fine and dandy. Go ahead and find one of those two, right? And it's just a matter of maybe those guys sink a little on the board. And, you know, dynamic in space guys rise a little bit in the board. If you're trying to figure out who their running back's going to be, because if they trade Dalvin Cook away, they're, they're going to need at least one more running back with a with a starting pedigree. And you're maybe looking at the draft for that. Who is the most dynamic with, with the ball in their hands? Um, you know, who's the guy that can create explosive opportunities. There's a, a number that I'm super, super in love with. Like Deuce Vaughn, I think is a great one. He's the little stupid shifty guy and he can really make a lot of guys miss. Of course, there's, you know, Bijan is probably the best in the class at that. Although I don't think that he's um, going to be available at the price. The Vikings will want to pay there, but you, you get where I'm going with this, whether it's a running back, a wide receiver, a third tight end or something. I don't know. Maybe we go jumbo and it's weird. It doesn't matter. I don't care what the two letters next to his name are. I care about his skills. And if he can make a bunch of dudes miss in the open field, if he can turn a four yard crosser into a 15 yard gain with some level of regularity, the Vikings should be into him. I am into Zay flowers for that reason. He's certainly not the only name, but he's the only one that keeps coming to my brain. So that's the guy that I'm going to unreasonably attach myself to. And then when he goes, to, I don't know, like Miami or something, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I want to keep talking about this throughout the offseason kind of generally, but there's your sort of your primer for what the big Viking problem was and how I think that they're going about solving it and how it kind of explains, yes, yeah, CJ Ham and Josh Oliver, they occupy these important roles. And the fact that you can bring out 21, bring out 12, and fake all the same stuff because you can run all the same stuff out of that makes you so much harder to defend when you actually are doing play action and going to trying to go to Justin Jefferson on a big corner route or something. So, um, I could talk about this for hours and cumulatively probably will. Welcome to lockdown Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow. In the meantime, check out Inman's newsletter, check out the draft scouting lockdown draft scouting with, uh, the formerly draft dudes, Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs. They're here on locked on now, uh, full on, Monday through Friday, just like this show. Super cool stuff. I will see you all tomorrow. And as always, Skull.